Matthew 6, 5-6, New International Version. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word, and thanks, Juliana, for reading our scripture this morning. Imagine that you live into your early 90s, having lived almost an entire century, and you're sitting with your grandchildren, and you're reviewing your prayer journals, and you start to add them up. Over 50,000 specific recorded answers to prayers, 30,000 of which happened either within the day or even within the hour of them first being prayed. Over 500 definite answers to prayer every year of your life, more than one per day every single day of your life. And because of these prayers, And only these prayers, over half a billion dollars were raised for ministry. And you say, I can't even imagine. These facts are in fact true of a man by the name of George Mueller. George lived from 1805 to 1898, almost the entire 19th century. Two-thirds of his life, he lived in Bristol, England. He is widely considered one of the greatest men of prayer and faith since the days of the New Testament. He led four far-reaching and impactful ministries, but he was best known for his orphanages in England. During a time in England when most orphans lived in horrible conditions in work camps or even just out on the streets, George Mueller would take them in and feed them and clothe them and educate them. He cared for as many as 2,000 orphans at one time, more than 10,000 in his lifetime. As you can imagine, this required significant financial resources. And here's the most remarkable thing. He never made his needs of his ministry known to anyone except God. Can you imagine? George only prayed about the things that he needed to to care for and feed and educate these orphans. And God provided. Well, wouldn't you want that to be true of you, even a little. I know it would be for me that we were just known to be a people of prayer and of faith. You always had a faith that God would provide, and He did over and over again, and you record these uh, answers in your prayer journal. We're going to talk a little bit about how that might happen in our lives. Well, we've returned to our Living the Life series, a series of messages based on Jesus' teaching of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, or Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And we've just moved into chapter 6. And there we find three acts of piety or acts of devotion addressed in the first 18 verses. 
giving, prayer, and fasting. And so this is kind of like a mini-series within the bigger series. And last week, Pastor Adam addressed the subject of giving, and I thought for a moment there that I might be able to just take his message and substitute out every time he used the word give for pray or giving with praying, because really there's so many parallels between each of these passages and how Jesus speaks to these three spiritual practices. In fact, chapter 6 and verse 1 is an introduction to all three acts of piety. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, we read this, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them, for if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. In other words, Jesus begins by warning us not to do the right things for the wrong reasons. And Pastor Adam unpacked this verse so well for us last week. Because Jesus begins first by cautioning his followers. He is implying, in fact, that we will practice righteousness. We should engage in acts of righteousness, these acts of devotion. We should give. We, we should pray. We, we should fast. But the caution is for us to watch our motive. Why is more important than how? Our motivations matter, whether it's giving or praying or fasting. If we do it to be seen by others, does it neglect to express that we're devoted to God and God alone? And so, in these verses that Juliana read for us, I I just titled this section, Jesus on Prayer. What does Jesus say about prayer? And it's important to just start here because books and books have been written on prayer. I mean, if you Googled, you know, even went to Amazon and searched prayer, you're going to find tens of thousands probably of books on the subject of prayer. Um, Pastor Adam this spring taught a equip class on becoming people of prayer. It's available as a podcast on our website, and I would encourage you, uh, if this is an area that you want to understand more and grow in, that's a great place to start. But beyond just the volume of material, prayer is actually kind of a difficult situation to pray on for two reasons. I think one is, is that whenever we talk about prayer, a lot of people feel guilty about it. It's like, you know, I never pray enough, or, you know, my my prayer life just isn't good enough. I, I know that there's times where I feel that, and that makes the second reason difficult, too, is that I can stand up here and speak on this like I'm some kind of expert on it, and I'm not. I just still have so much to learn and practice in this area, and so I do feel um, largely inadequate. And so we take this broad topic and we wonder, what, where do we start? And so I want to just look at the text that Jesus uh, taught and see what kind of principles we can learn about prayer from this passage. Because there's many, many other passages in the Bible that we could also explore this subject on prayer. It's verse, virtually um, inexhaustible, and, uh, and that's why there's so many books that are written about it. But let me just say a few things this morning. One is that prayer is assumed by Jesus to be a normal practice. It's assumed to be a normal practice. Verse 5 begins, and when you pray. 
He doesn't say an if you pray, like a kind of a take it or leave it. As followers of Jesus, prayer is inevitable. We should pray and we will pray and we do pray. But there is another aspect of when that we should consider, like when should we actually pray? There's really two ways of just looking at this in really broad strokes. And one is that we would pray at specific times or set times even throughout the day. Uh, Many would look at this as maybe a a morning prayer or a noontime prayer or even an evening prayer. Uh, Some would practice all three, and those fall into something that, uh, that, that church history is called the daily office. Or uh, this, this sense that an office in the sense of kind of a duty or an obligation, that we're committed to these three times. A couple of weeks ago when Pastor Adam and I talked about a rule of life and we said that one of the, the first practices that we should uh, engage in regularly is a quiet time, a, a daily rhythm of, of quiet and prayer and scripture reading. And, uh, and I shared there that I had to move to, to the morning for myself. I used to leave it till the evening. Just too many times I found that I, you know, I was tired and it was easy to fall asleep on the couch and, and miss it, all those kind of things. And so for me, I, I, I've just found that starting with the best time of the day when you're kind of fresh, especially after you've had that coffee. But you remember Pastor Adam talked about how tempting it is when you are waiting for your coffee to brew to start doing other things and looking at your phone and those kind of things. And there is that temptation. But I used to always have an alarm that went off at about 1230 and it just said daily office. And it was just a, a, a quick reminder for me to stop whatever I'm doing, even if I was eating or maybe if I was with somebody or whatever, just to pray uh, specifically at that time. So maybe there's specific times that you want to set uh, for your prayer. But the other aspect of prayer that is so unique is that we can pray at any time, all the time, we can pray continually. Uh, the Bible talks about it, like Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, to pray without ceasing. So you, you just never stop praying. Uh, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, to, to pray in every situation. So in every event that we're going on throughout the day, we can be people who are praying. Some writers, uh, most notably a, a monk by the name of Brother Lawrence, he ta- called this practicing the presence of God. And it simply is this practice where we train ourselves to invoke God's presence in everything we do. We can be washing the dishes and praying. We can be cooking supper and praying. We can be washing and waxing the car and praying. This is one area that we can probably actually multitask. And it's absolutely incredible when you stop and think about it. Because I could be speaking right now these words to you and praying to God that he would help and that he would take this word and plant it deep within, your, within, within people's hearts. We can do these things because we can pray at any time. And that is probably the greatest challenge we face. Because for many, it is simply finding the time. And to that, I want to just say this carefully, but hopefully boldly and lovingly, that you make time for what is important to you. And we can get engaged in many, many activities throughout the day, many of them which can be very good and useful to us. But Paul even writes, he says, you know, physical training is of some value, but nothing compares to spiritual training. 
And when we engage in prayer, we're, we're allowing God to form us at that time, and that is such a critical piece of our Christian growth. Now, if you have a, an iPhone, um, one of the things that it does, and maybe you already know this, um, it tracks your screen time. And I would think that that would be an incredible measure of accountability if you found somebody and you shared how much screen time you're doing in a week, how much you're doing in a day, and maybe what activities you're doing. Because it's not all bad. I unfortunately have my little screen time notification come up about 9.15 every Sunday morning. And so I'm always reminded of what I engaged in in the past week. I want to say to you, that when we look at that, it might reveal to us certain patterns or certain activities that we're engaged in that um, maybe aren't helpful in forming us the way God wants to form us. So prayer, first of all, is assumed to be a normal practice. Secondly, prayer is not something to do for show. It's just something we don't do for show. Verse 5 continues, Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. And so Jesus uses this term, hypocrite, and he says basically, don't be a hypocrite. Our problem is is that we think about uh, someone that says they're a hypocrite is that they do one thing, or they say one thing, and then do another. And when Jesus is using that term, he's basically saying, don't be an actor. Because it it is easy for us maybe to approach prayer in in a way that is wrong. Wrong for us to want others to see us as devoted, as maybe a little pious. I mean, when I pray in this way, what will others think about the way that I pray? Now, the issue here is not at all public prayer. There is a place for that. It doesn't mean that you stop praying with others or in a public context even like this morning, but the real issue is public performance. Public prayer should not call attention to the person praying. It's one thing to pray standing in church or standing on a street corner, but it's another to do so only to be seen by others. As one writer put it, it is particularly hypocritical to parade one's piety in prayer since, by definition, to pray means to talk to God, not other people. And so again, we see that the deeper issue here is motivation. And so it's important for us to check our motives when it comes to prayer. And one of the simple questions then to just ask is, why am I praying? And that's the same question that that we could ask about, why am I giving? Why am I doing it in this way? Why am I fasting? We'll look at it in a couple of weeks. And we should never answer that so that I can be seen by others or to draw attention to myself, kind of flaunting my prayer or flaunting my generosity, maybe using big words in my prayer to impress others. Frankly, what Jesus is saying is that it's just simply wrong to make a show of prayer, to be seen by others. And so, again, it comes back to motive. Are we praying because it expresses a heart that is devoted to God? And is He getting the glory? Is the attention in our prayer on Him? And any answered prayers, they should result in more glory to God, not in the fact that we prayed, but that God answered. And if we do pray for show, 
Jesus says. The only reward we get, in fact, is the applause of others. So we actually get what we wanted in the first place. And he goes, what he says is, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Because they've seen by, been seen by others, and that's kind of the end of it. Which leads me to my third point. Prayer is best practiced in private. Best practiced in private. And this is where we can really check our motives. Because we pray in secret. And most prayer should be personal and done in a private place. This was true of giving, is true of prayer. We're going to see that it's true of fasting. These are private acts of worship and devotion. And therefore, they're best done and practiced privately. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray. There's something so clearly practical here. I just want to break it down a little bit because I, I see this just very simplistically. But here we go. First of all, he says, go. And I, and I think that just means that we need to be intentional about it. It's, it's kind of like what I said earlier, that you have that set time. And this is the time or the place that I am going to or that what I'm going to do this. And he says, go into your room. The, the implication is that you're by yourself, that this is going to be a time of maybe extended solitude. And because it's your room, I would say that, that it's important to even have a specific place, that this might be even hidden away a little bit in your home. Um, the story's often told that you've heard of Susanna Wesley, who with her multitudes of kids, I can't remember the detail, I'm kind of ad-libbing here, but, but, but she would put an, her apron up over her head at the kitchen table, and her entire family, her kids knew, this is when you do not bother mom, because she's in prayer. I think when we go into your room, I think what Jesus is just setting up is that if there's some routine to it, something specific that you know, this is where I go. I, I visited a pastor friend many years ago, and he, we were walking through his basement, and he showed me a little room that he had, and he, I built this specifically. It was probably no more than four feet by four feet, maybe five feet by five feet, had a door, and, and the only thing in that room was a chair. And that was where he went to pray. Now, I shouldn't say the only thing is, is he used the walls in there with all sorts of pictures of missionaries and things that would trigger times for him to, to pray. And that was his prayer closet. It was such a specific place where only he would be. And Jesus says, go and close the door. That, that I think this sets us up for silence because now you're kind of tuning out the, the rest of the, the noise maybe the interruptions, and you pray. Well, I guess the question then is, is what do we pray for? What, what do we pray? Well, there's all sorts of practical helps that I think we sometimes miss when we just talk about prayer in theory without talking about prayer in practice. And I want to talk about this a little bit because I think it's important. It's helpful to have a plan. It's helpful to lay out some kind of a structure that will, will help you know what to pray for. I've made a sheet that I update, I don't know, maybe every three, four, six months. Uh, I don't go through it every single day, but <clears throat> I outline for myself what I want to pray for. 
And I have a section that I just call heart preparation. And I have a note there. Start by being quiet. Confess and repent of all sin. Ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Put on the armor of God. Claim God's protection. And I edited this most recently after Pastor Adam did the class. And, and, and he led us through praying through the Lord's Prayer. I had a little different structure before that some of you know. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And now it's our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. And Pastor Adam's going to walk us through that part of the Sermon on the Mount next Sunday. And so I just have some bullet points there. And I have a place to read Scripture and how to pray into that. And a reminder to journal. And then I have some things every week that I set aside. Monday, what I pray for, and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, because I know I can't pray for everything every single day. And I just offer that to you um, as, as a suggestion to say, you know, if you're like a person who says, well, I don't even really know what to pray for, you'd be amazed at when you start collecting things about what you can put together. And having a guide like that, and that's really all it should be, you shouldn't feel legalistic to it. I don't go through it, like I said, every single day, but it's there when I need it. But it's very similar to having like a Bible reading plan. We've been talking about the McShane's reading plan. And so you know where to start and what to pray for. Now, another help would be to have a prayer journal. And, and I would suggest uh, this could be done in one of two ways, maybe both. One is just to have a journal where you write out written prayers because it allows you to kind of visualize and think about the thoughts that you want to pray to God. And another is to maybe have some kind of way of keeping track of prayer requests. Because you might get prayer requests from family or friends, from church, something that you hear about, you want to pray for. How do you keep track of those? And, and yes, there's apps that you can do that now, of course, like just for, for anything else. But sometimes if you're just a pen and paper person, I've heard of people that use index cards and they write the name and maybe what the need is. And then they can just flip through those, those index cards during their time of prayer. Sometimes it's just a single sheet where you might jot down what the prayer is and when you started praying for that and then maybe when and how it was answered. But finding some way to track what you're praying for is my point, that it's very, very important to, to have some kind of structure to that. Um, uh, and again, it might not be all the time, but that there's something that you can fall back to. And it's important, too, when we pray, I think, to combine it with Scripture reading. You can't divorce these two uh, spiritual practices. Because as you're reading in the Bible, and so this past week, on January 8th, we're reading in Ezra 8, and there uh, we read about Ezra fasting and praying, and then he goes into this, this prayer. And maybe it's a prayer that we would pray that morning. This week, we're going to enter into Nehemiah chapter 1, and we'll see there how Nehemiah prays. And so we're instructed in how to pray by reading the Bible. And George Mueller, he said that the key to his prayer life was when he finally discovered that he was able to experience a more meaningful prayer time after he read and meditated on Scripture. And so he would read Scripture, and when he would come across a promise, he would pray that promise. And, and, it, and it says that, that sometimes he would read for several days until he found the promise that fit with the need that he had. And then he would pray that particular promise that he found in Scripture that fit with his need. And his prayers were answered 
tens of thousands of times in his lifetime. And he had record of those. So prayer is best partnered with other spiritual practices. I already mentioned silence and solitude and scripture reading. But it can also be through worship. The songs that we sang this morning, every one of them is direct to God and the work that He's doing in our lives. If you are touched by a particular song, just Google the lyrics and then pray it again. Or maybe you put on music, you can sing those songs as prayer. And fasting can be coupled with prayer as well, and we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But just as setting aside a specific time can be a challenge, when it comes time to pray, one of the challenges is distractions. We're so easily distracted people. And that's why having a quiet place removed from everything helps, and having a plan certainly helps. But sometimes it's simple as having a notepad that you can jot down a little prayer request. So, for instance, you're praying, all of a sudden it's like, oh, we need milk. (laughs) Pick up milk. Now, don't tell me that none of you have ever thought about needing to pick up milk in the middle of a prayer time. But maybe it's like, oh, I need to call so-and-so. And And if you keep praying, you might even forget about calling so-and-so. It's okay. Just Jot it down, set it aside, and continue back. One of the enduring images I have of my parents who didn't always close the door to their bedroom was seeing them kneeling at the bed praying. And when we bow and kneel before God, it's something that we we don't practice very much anymore. We don't maybe do it so much even in a, in a public context. But I remember even the church that I grew up, I, I, we would sometimes have prayer times where we would turn around and kneel, you know, in our pews on hard vinyl floor. But there's something that demonstrates in that posture that we're humbling ourselves and coming and submitting to God's will in that way. And so, sure, there are other postures and ways to pray. You can even pray while you're driving. Uh, Some need more prayer than others while they're driving, if you know what I mean. Um, You can pray while you're walking. You can pray while you're singing, as I mentioned. You can pray through journaling. But always remember that it's not about drawing attention to yourself. Practice or prayer is best practiced in private. And lastly, prayer at its core is conversation with the Father. Verse 6 says, but when you pray, and so there it is again, right? It's assumed that you will pray. It says, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. And some translations say, who is in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And in just case we missed it, prayer is just simply communicating with God. It's having a conversation, as was so um, clearly articulated in the kids' spotlight. Aren't those great, by the way? Two ways to have this conversation. One is just verbally and out loud, where we actually express words, we say them. And two, we can pray mentally and silently. We can have thoughts where we think our prayer requests. But the key is that it is a conversation. It goes both ways. It involves speaking and then listening. It involves talking and hearing. And it's a conversation for the purpose of this relationship. 
where we can be totally open and honest before God. Now, Dallas Willard, in writing about this, helped me to see something in this verse here in verse 6 that really draws out this idea of relationship, something that I didn't really see before. But notice that Jesus says that we, like him, pray to our Father who is in secret, not just sees us in the secret place. In other words, when we get alone in a quiet place, God the Father is present. Dallas Willard simply says, the secret place is where God is. And that ultimately is the reward, isn't it? God's presence, growing in intimacy with the Father, knowing that there's this relationship between a father and his child. You know, I have had to work through a number of things over the years. That's just part of, I think, being in Christ, that there are times in our lives he exposes certain things that we have to work through, and and he uses that to to form us. And I had a lot to learn about that it was okay to just be and not always do. I I think I made mention of this a couple of weeks ago. But doing was deeply ingrained in me. I was driven. I I always worked hard in school. I wanted not only to, to, to get good grades, I wanted to get the best grades. That was really important to me for some reason. And so, yeah, I, I was that kid that, you know, you'd get your exam back and, and, and you'd want to ask and know what everyone else got so that you could compare it to that. And once you realized that you were getting higher grades than ever, there was a bit of smug arrogance that when they said, oh, yeah, I got, I got 95, it's like, mm, I got 98 or whatever, right? But, but that drivenness, it, 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 it compelled me in sports and activities and stuff like that. But as I look back on that, I realize that one of the primary motivations for doing that, for, for being so um, uh, caught up in, in the competitiveness, the perfectionism, all of these things, because I felt that I had to earn my Father's love. That by doing these things, I would please Him, that I would make Him proud. Well, not surprisingly, I discovered that eventually this affected my relationship with God, with my heavenly Father, that somehow I had to earn His love. Somehow I had to please Him. And so I would work hard and do, and ultimately I believe that was part of what led to my burnout in late 2000s, 2007. But Right around that time, just before that, in my mid to late 30s, I was wrestling with this, and I had some powerful experiences. And somebody prayed a pretty prophetic word uh, over me that I still remember. And, and then how this came to be is right after that, I was sitting in our living room. This is when we lived in Ontario. And we, we didn't have a big house, but it was a bungalow, and it was, it was quite long, and we had a long hallway. And Lucas's bedroom was on the far end. The living room was kind of roughly in the middle of the house. And I was sitting there just having some quiet time with God. And I think that was kind of my place at the time. And I distinctly remember this morning where <clears throat> I, I heard this very quick rush of activity in Lucas's room and the footsteps on the ground and the door being ripped open and the, the steps coming running down the hall. And he came, comes around one couch to get to the couch that I'm sitting on and he just plops in my lap and doesn't say anything. 
And it was in that moment that it was the Spirit of God that just said, Norb, (laughs) this is what I'm talking about. Your love for Lucas right now, the relationship that you have with him right now, is exactly the relationship that I want with you. You don't have to do anything. Just be. Be my child. And as we pray, we discover that we have a personal God who is our Father, who knows us by name, who loves us and cares for us, and he wants the very best for us. And yes, sometimes we go through times of suffering and trial, and those challenges form us and shape us, but they, they push us into a deeper, intimate relationship with God. And I hope that that's true for all of us right now. That when we're going through this really tough season, That when we come out of it, we just go, you know what? That was one of the best things that has happened in my lifetime. And it's going to sound crazy to anyone to say that. Excuse me. But it's true. And that's because prayer transforms. Let me just close by saying some quick things about how prayer changes us. Uh, Prayer aligns our hearts with God's. We, We suddenly discover the things that God cares about, and we pray about those things. It aligns our perspective to God's. The things that we think about or how we think about something changes. It aligns our behavior to God's when we discover how he wants us to live and we do the right things for the right reasons. Sometimes it even aligns our personality. I mean, when you think about it, think about a time in your own life, maybe when you were really angry about something or towards someone. What did you do? Was your first instinct to lash out and say angry words and hurtful words? Or were you maybe able to step back and pray? And what happens when we pray like that? And it's this work of transformation is what I believe God is most concerned about. And prayer starts with the right motive, that we express devotion to God. But when we pray, we can't help but be changed. And so prayer is not so much about changing God or getting from Him what we need, but it's about changing us. In in Pastor Adam's class, he made this definition um, that prayer is to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. And I believe that prayer is one of the ways that we demonstrate that we are walking by the Spirit. And in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes about what it looks like to walk by the Spirit. And he says when we do, we will, quote, not, will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then he goes on to compare and contrast two types of people. Those that demonstrate fruit consistent with the works of the flesh and those that show evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. So Galatians 5, verse 19 and 21, this is what Paul writes. He says, Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy. Does that sound at all familiar to anyone? about our world? It's pretty descriptive. And he goes on, talks about 
drunkenness and carousing, anything similar. He says, those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And when you look at it, it's actually a pretty ugly list. But it's also very descriptive. And then in verse 22, we read this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see what he did there in just those few verses? He said, this is one way you might live. Or this is another, when you allow the Holy Spirit to do His work of transformation in your life. And when the Apostle Paul finishes writing these words, he ultimately invites his readers, those who live by the Spirit, to then walk with the Spirit. And when we pray, one of the great rewards is the transformation that takes place. Now, maybe you think about something that is described in that first list, but then you immediately pray about it and you come back and step with the Spirit. Maybe you are feeling angry about something and there's conflict in a relationship at home or at work and then you bring it to God in prayer and you're gently reminded by the Spirit about love and patience. So that's what I mean when I say that prayer transforms. And so as people who at TCC know Jesus, walk with Jesus, and share Jesus, we're going to face difficult situations. And in those situations, and in every situation, we should be people who pray. Because ultimately, it may not change the situation, but it changes us. Now, for sure, we can learn more about prayer As I mentioned, there's many books that you can go to. You can listen to multitudes of sermons on prayer. You can listen to some of the podcasts that I mentioned, even some of our very own. But ultimately, listen to this. We learn to pray by praying. There's just no substitute. Because prayer is a muscle that grows ultimately as you use it. And the more you do it, the more you know how to do it, and the more you desire to do it. Even if you begin by praying for the desire to pray. And when we pray regularly, it causes us to pray more. Dallas Willard says, the more we pray, the more we think to pray. So true and so basic. And when we start to see the results of prayer, when we see how God has answered prayer and how God has changed us, our hope and our confidence in God grows. And that, my friends, is a good thing. That is a reward. So this week, just start somewhere. Maybe if prayer is not part of your regular routine, start with five minutes. If your routine is 15, see if you can extend that. But it's never about the time or the length, but it's about our heart that expresses a devotion to God because we want to be in relationship with Him and we ultimately want Him to change us. And so next week, we're going to look at when the disciples ask, Lord, teach us to pray. And Pastor Adam will show us about more specifically how to pray. But I pray that that, as a high-level view of what Jesus is saying about, script, about prayer, will be helpful to you today and this week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity with which it just can speak to our lives sometimes. And we see here what Jesus teaches about prayer, and 
we ultimately see what Jesus says about the reward of prayer and being people who experience a deep and intimate relationship with you, Jesus, with our Father, through Jesus, and by the Spirit. And this trinity, this community, that we have the privilege of engaging at any time, in any place, but knowing that it's so helpful to have that time and that place. So God, I pray that you would help us at TCC become people of prayer. And maybe it's not just become as in we arrive, but we're becoming people of prayer. That we're constantly growing, changing. And so God, we just ask that you do what only you can do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.